Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hi, guys. I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me on this Friday as we wrap up yet another week in Biden's America, which we have all survived. Congratulations. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Don't forget to seek me out on social media. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore. Some great photos, great updates, links to this podcast up on the Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter, which we're going to talk about later in the show, and on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. You can also send me an email about this show. The email address is Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Okay, next week, just a little teaser. So on Monday, very exciting news. I'm going to be in the great state of Georgia campaigning with the one and only Herschel Walker. I'm going to be in Georgia crisscrossing the state with Herschel on the Herschel Walker for Senate bus. I cannot wait. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. And I am going to be speaking at his rallies with him on Monday. It's a real honor to join Herschel. He's going to be an outstanding United States Senator from Georgia. 
and it's just a thrill for me to be on the campaign trail with him. So I'm going to join him on Monday. We will have a show on Monday. I'm going to try to get Herschel. I know he is just wall to wall. And in fact, the latest polls actually show him leading Warnock by a couple of points. So we need all hands on deck in every race across the country, including this Georgia Senate race. Um, And I know he's wall to wall, but I'm going to try to get him on this show uh, so that you can hear directly from him. But on Monday, that's where I'm going to be. We're going to have a fantastic show for you on Monday. And then the rest of the week, also big shows as we lead into the midterm elections. Uh, We're also going to be joined next week by former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. My friend Mike Pompeo is going to be here with insights into the world falling apart and all of the national security threats uh, to the United States. He's also running for president. We will ask him. So a big week of shows next week leading into the November 8th election, so you're not going to want to miss a minute of the Monica Crowley podcast. Okay, happy Friday. Today I want to focus on the midterms, as we're going to do from here on out. Uh, And also I want to focus on our leaders our current leaders, and I use the word leaders, if you could see me right now, it's in air quotes. I want to break that apart. And it's a new day on Twitter, which means it's a new day for free speech in America. And I want to talk about that too, because what has just happened with Elon Musk closing the deal, taking over Twitter, what has just happened is nothing short of a civilizational development. And if you think I'm overstating it, I'm not. We have been going through a very, very dark period in America and frankly in the West with these petty little leftist tyrants quashing free speech, intimidating people from saying the truth, destroying people's lives and livelihoods who dared to speak out. The weaponization of our own government against us is our number one threat. And those evil entities in our government doing that, targeting regular Americans who believe in this country and want to speak out about what's actually going on, those evil, wicked tyrants have been working hand in glove with big tech to silence people, intimidate them, push misinformation. The people who are all crazed about mis- and disinformation are the biggest distributors of mis- and disinformation. So they have been working hand-in-glove with big tech to push this agenda and silence anybody who dares to speak out. We have been living with this for so long that a lot of us see it, but we just sort of said, well, that's the way it's always going to be. And it's a shame and it's horrible. And we will do our best to fight against it, but we're up against a Goliath. Well, we needed a Goliath to step in and take the reins of at least one major entity, namely Twitter, to start to turn the tide. And in our second segment today, I really want to talk about this because this is a huge development. Okay, so and then we've got, oh, how could I forget? We're going to also talk to Ned Ryan of American Majority. He is fantastic. You see him on Tucker Carlson a lot. He is hip deep in these campaigns and these midterm elections. So we will get his very on the ground read 
of what's actually going on out there. So stay tuned for Ned Ryan plus your emails. What could be better? We've got some fantastic ones for you today. Okay, first up, the Monica Memo. We got news this morning that Paul Pelosi, the spouse of Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, was violently attacked at home in San Francisco. Um, this is this is quite a story. Paul Pelosi, the spouse of the Speaker of the House was attacked in his own home in San Francisco. And you have to know, since they are incredibly wealthy, they've got a huge net worth, $100 million, something like that. Their home is magnificent, and their home also has a lot of security. They, you know, everybody in San Francisco, all the Democrats who Mrs. Pelosi leads, so many of them want to defund the police. They're trying to lie about it now, heading into the election, but they've all been on board in some way, shape, or form with defunding the police or anti-law enforcement. But the Pelosi residence, you have to imagine, has security at the wazoo. Not only is she the House Speaker, but they, they have a ton of money to protect themselves and their property. So how did this happen? I'm sure we're going to get more details over time. And we certainly hope that Mr. Pelosi is okay. He's been hospitalized. He's getting excellent care, they say. And we we wish him a full recovery. But I have to tell you guys, something very weird is going on here with the Pelosi's, particularly with him. She's a constant weirdo. But him... Something, I I don't know, I could be wrong, but there's something off about him. First, over the summer, we had that drunk driving arrest, right? And there there was a witness, but nobody really saw or knew who the witness was. And then they tried to bury it. And then Jesse Waters, God bless him, was out there beating the drum. And Fox was filing FOIA requests so we could get more details on that drunk driving arrest. But Mrs. Pelosi wasn't with him. She was somewhere else, and there was a witness. And then the whole thing surrounding that was a little odd, right? And now we have this break-in into their house with a ton of security, and he is violently attacked in their own home. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know. Is he involved in some seriously shady stuff? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is all just a giant coincidence. I don't know. But given the fact that Mrs. Pelosi is one of the most powerful people in the country, I'm not sure we're going to get all of the details on this. I would hope so. But who knows? But again, uh, speedy recovery to Mr. Pelosi, but there's something a little off about this whole thing. Which brings me to... Meet Your Leaders, America. Yesterday, your president and commander-in-chief had to be shown to sit down even though he was standing right in front of his chair. He also messed up a number of uh, policy things, didn't know what he was saying, had no idea what he was talking about, was way off on things like student loans and, and the rest. Over the course of this week, Biden's cognitive decline actually looks like it's accelerating. And I've told you guys, I've reminded you, dementia is in fact progressive. 
So it never gets better. It always gets worse. And once you hit like a tipping point with dementia, it does seem to accelerate a lot. And over this past week, Biden has muffed a ton of things. And like I said yesterday, he he was literally standing in front of the chair and a woman had to come over. And I think it was, it may have even been Kirsten Gillibrand, the junior senator from New York, whom he called Kirsten Shillibrand. She is a shill, but that's beside the point. He messed up uh, her name. And he's standing there with Chuck Schumer, and Chuck Schumer is blabbing about how bad it looks for the U.S. Senate on a hot mic. And Biden is just nodding like he's not even processing what's going on. The day before yesterday, he was spotted wandering in the wrong direction on the South Lawn after arriving back at the White House. Guys, This man has been in and around the White House for 50 years, five decades, and yet he doesn't know where he's going. Next, we have your vice president, Kamala Harris, who, when not serving up a scrumptious word salad, is droning on about either nonsensical or irrelevant subjects. A week and a half before the biggest midterms ever, that's focused on the economy, inflation, gas prices, education, skyrocketing crime, cities in collapse, and the wide-open border, Kamala is out there yucking it up over school buses. Here she is. So here's the thing. Who doesn't love a yellow school bus, right? Can you raise your hand if you love a yellow school bus, right? Just there's something about... And and most of us, many of us, went to school on the yellow school bus, right? And it's part of of our, our experience growing up. We're struggling to pay for groceries, and this nitwit is pushing electric school buses by waxing nostalgic about them. Someone in this White House really does not like Kamala Harris. Maybe it's Dr. Jill. Dr. Jill keeps setting her up with crappy assignments, the border, school buses, taking care of wandering Joe. And then there's old Big Neck himself, John Fetterwoman, fresh off his epically disastrous debate meltdown, Fetterwoman's team tried a cleanup in aisle three by having him do an interview on camera Bad idea to anybody on Fetter Woman's team. I think they feel like, you know, that they are, uh, they got to get him out there and show that he's capable. But every time he goes out there, it's a train wreck, including this cleanup operation yesterday. Here is Fetter Woman trying to say the phrase Statue of Liberty. You know, and, you know, you talk about the, 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 liber, the liberty of, of sta- a statue um, has never had an inscription inside that said, you know, send your, your tired huddered uh, masses and put them on a bus and turn them into a, a cheap political stunt. Again, like Paul Pelosi, I hope that Fetterwoman gets the care he needs, but he belongs in a rehab facility, not in the United States Senate. And apart from his mental and physical inability to do the job, he is a communist nutter. That's the real reason to reject Fetterwoman. Guys, look, there is a reason 
And I, I brought up these three examples because I want to tie it all together, as we always do on this show. There is a reason that the left keeps putting up these imbeciles and infirm people for high office. If they are an imbecile or infirm, they are more easily controllable. Biden, Harris, Fetterwoman, there are others. The communists need malleable puppets whose strings they can pull and whose actions they can control and whose agendas they run. All communists do this. Our communists are no different. Useful idiots, as Vladimir Lenin called them. It's not that the left's power brokers don't know that these people are dumb or mentally incapable. They know, and they find it very useful to the cause. The logic extends also to how they try to change the country. They want as many people as possible, as weak, non-productive, and poor as possible. Why? Because weak, non-productive, poor people are dependent on government. And weak, non-productive, poor people dependent on government are people who can be more easily controlled. It's a built-in voter base for them and a block of humanity that will continually vote to keep them in power. And when they keep power, they use it to slam communism in. That's what's going on here. None of this is a coincidence. None of this is an accident. It's all of a piece. The left is evil, but it knows what it's doing. Biden, Harris, Fetterwoman, they're all ideal for the left. Clueless, dumb, infirm, perfect. The revolution goes on. The revolution must always go on. The revolution is everything. Look, guys, to be clear, these leftists are so power hungry. Obviously, they'd rather be in power than not. And that's why they steal elections and that's why they rig things. But if they have to lose here and there, that's a price that they are willing to pay. Stop thinking logically about this, okay? They're thinking much longer term and much bigger than any given election. Obviously, they'd rather be in office than not. But if they have to lose an election now and again, they're willing to do that. They won't like it. They'll try to prevent it by rigging and stealing these elections. But if they must lose now and again, they can live with that. As long as the revolution moves forward, you can't make a communist omelet without breaking a few eggs. Communists are all about destruction, ruin, wreckage, death, tearing down the existing order so they can replace it with the communist vision, with them, of course, the vanguard, sitting atop it all. So don't feel bad or sorry for Biden, Harris, Fetterwoman. They're in these positions for a reason, because they can be controlled. So don't feel bad or sorry for them. Feel anger that they and their handlers have put America in this position. And vote 
I tweeted that out the other day and some Biden guy who either used to be in the Biden White House and, and isn't anymore is still there. He was like, what is she talking about? Like they're out there pretending that they don't know what I'm talking about, what we're all talking about, the fact that we're on to all of them. Come on. All right, when we come back, we are going to talk about free speech, Elon Musk, and Twitter, and the bigger meaning behind all of this. So sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double And the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys. And you'll feel better with more energy, and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Okay, welcome back. Well, really huge development here over the last like 24 hours. People didn't think that it was possible that Elon Musk was actually going to acquire Twitter. And of course, he way overpaid for it, $44 billion. But guys, I remember when we launched this podcast, I guess it was the end of March of this year. And the word had first broke that Elon Musk was interested in buying Twitter. What set him off? What set him in this direction? First of all, I think he had a general frustration with social media and big tech and these platforms crushing free speech. But there was one particular development on Twitter. The Babylon Bee, which is the most brilliant satire site. And yes, it's run by conservatives who are absolutely brilliant. And yes, it's run by Christian conservatives who are pretty devout. They're absolutely hilarious. I just uh, recorded a podcast with them. I'm going to find out when they're going to post it. But when I was in LA a couple of weeks ago, I went out to their headquarters to see them. They are fantastic. They're, They're just so extraordinary. But of course, they needed to be crushed because their big sin was mocking the left and doing it with absolutely incisive, brilliant humor. So, of course, they needed to be destroyed. So, one time earlier this year, the Babylon Bee account tweeted the obvious statement that men are men, women are women, men can't get pregnant and have babies. 
Something like that, right? Stating a biological fact. The account for the Babylon Bee then got suspended. Well, unbeknownst to the rest of us, Elon Musk was a huge uh, fan of the Babylon Bee, just loved them. I mean, the Babylon Bee was pumping out stuff. They still do. You can follow them on Instagram, but they're going to be restored on Twitter, okay? So they, they were pumping out the funniest stuff. I mean, I literally laugh out loud when I'm sitting alone and scrolling through and I see one of their headlines. I literally laugh out loud every single time. They are that good. And because they're, they're that good and they were skewing the left in every way and, and destroying the left's sacred cows like abortion, they needed to be suspended. So they found a reason. The, the tech oligarchs at Twitter found a reason suspended the Babylon Bee and that really pissed off Elon. So much so, he couldn't believe it. He reached out to the CEO and the team at the Babylon Bee the morning that they were suspended, and he was like, is this real? And they were like, yep. And he was like, okay, that's it. (laughs) That's it. I'm going to look into buying this platform. This is out of control. And so, you know, went through a lot of twists and turns. And finally, I mean, a lot of people, we spoke about this in the early days on this podcast. A lot of people got very excited about it, including me. This was in the spring of this year. And then it took sort of a negative turn and Elon wanted out and people said he's looking to get out and blah, blah. So there were a lot of ups and downs and uh, people were essentially pessimistic that this moment would ever come. And yet, here it is. Here it is. Elon took control of Twitter uh, last night when the deal closed, and he tweeted, the bird is freed. I'll tell you, almost immediately, I picked up about 8,000 new followers right away, and you could see the shadow bands being lifted. Like, I'll tweet something, and usually it was like slow motion to to see the likes and the retweets. Every once in a while, I'd have some that went really viral, 50,000 likes and whatever, but you could see that there was something going on in the background, right? Well, as of last night, I'm tweeting and boom, (laughs) right away, the tweets are taken off and going everywhere. And so you could see that the algorithms that they used to crush conservatives' speech have been lifted thanks to, to Elon. And we hope that he continues this. We hope and pray that he does not let us down. But so far, so good. And in fact, it, within a couple of hours of him actually taking control, he fired the top three people at Twitter. He fired the CEO, the CFO, and this woman, the head of trust and safety or some other Orwellian name for the the agency within Twitter that she headed up. She was the one who threw Donald Trump off of Twitter, her. And there was a report yesterday when she was canned that she was crying, very concerned about the future of the platform. Girl, bye. Bye. So, so far, so good. Elon has indicated that people who have been permanently suspended, like Donald Trump, like James O'Keefe, like James Lindsay, so many others, Babylon B, that they will, in fact, be restored. So we are waiting with bated breath on that. But this all looks to the good, at least so far. And again, we hope that he sticks with it. The reason this is so important. Oh, Monica, it's only Twitter. Who cares? Here's why it matters. Twitter is the leading 
uh, area of the public square. Instagram, very important. That's mostly pictures. Yeah, it's text too, but it's mostly video and and pictures. You had Facebook, which is completely falling apart. Did you see that uh, Meta, the parent company of Facebook, completely crashed this week in the market and Mark Zuckerberg himself personally lost $100 billion dollars. That is the steepest decline in personal wealth for any individual in the history of the world. I tweeted elections, including the one that Mark Zuckerberg helped to rig, have consequences. So suck it, Zuckerberg. Um, So yeah, there are other platforms out there, but Twitter is essential one for communication and for free speech. And so without it, being a truly open free speech platform, the truth never stood a chance. Conservative principles, populism, America first, like none of it, the truth, none of it stood a chance. We saw what they did with the Hunter Biden story and just the list, the list goes on and on. So now we actually have a pillar in the big tech universe that is, at least for now, being protected with regard to free speech by Elon Musk. And it is the central pillar. Everything else, Facebook, Instagram, Snap, all of these other things sort of flow from Twitter. Yeah, they're independent. They've got their own shtick going on. But Twitter really is the central unit around which everything else kind of revolves Certainly political discussions, certainly discussions about issues that really matter, Twitter is it. So now that you have someone who has said, I'm taking the shackles off of this thing, and he said, look, it's not going to be a free-for-all hellscape, okay? You can't, you can't incite violence on Twitter, obviously, and nobody wants that. But in terms of open exchange of ideas, now it's going to be that place, By the way, I'm wondering, can Elon Musk also fire Joe Biden? Just asking, asking for a friend, asking for a country. But now that it is going to be this place where you're going to have truly free expression, understand that you've got petty little leftist tyrants everywhere sweating bullets right now because they are no longer going to have Twitter as yet another place where they can hide. And they're going to be called on all of their lies, crimes, destructive policies, and general bullshit. This is why they're sweating bullets. They also know that if the truth is allowed to be spoken again on Twitter, that all of the other social media platforms are going to be under tremendous pressure. Why? Because if you can speak the truth on Twitter, but you can on Facebook or Instagram or anywhere else those platforms are going to start to see a hemorrhaging of users. You're going to see public criticism of them. Well, I can say this truth about the shots or about uh, Hunter Biden or whatever, the corruption at the DOJ and FBI. I can say that truth on Twitter, but I can on Insta or Facebook. I'm still being shadow banned over there. So either they're going to start losing users and or the criticism then for uh, is going to be so intense that those other platforms are going to be pressured to change. So all of this is a net positive. This is all absolutely 
breathtaking. I never thought that we would see the day. I really didn't. And I am, I am so incredibly happy that we are in this place. You know what, guys? Elon firing the communist psychos is a prelude to what we are going to do in just a few days. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk to the great Ned Ryan of American Majority about where we are in the midterms and what he's seeing on the ground. So sit tight for that. But first, guys, I want to take a moment to welcome a brand new sponsor, Worthy. There's a new easy way to get money for all of that diamond jewelry that you are not wearing. It's called Worthy. Worthy is a platform that can get you up to two or three times as much money as a pawn shop or local jewelry shop will offer with zero risk. Worthy puts your jewelry in front of a worldwide network of professional buyers, people who will bid against each other for your diamond. And Worthy makes it so easy. Free shipping, free insurance coverage, free professional grading and evaluation, and you're in control from start to finish. If your price isn't met, you don't have to sell and you get your piece back, no charge. And now for a limited time, you'll get an extra $100 when your jewelry sells for over $1,500. All you have to do is register at worthy.com slash Monica. That's worthy.com slash Monica. Get more for your diamond jewelry at worthy.com dot com slash Monica. Again, worthy.com slash Monica. Worthy. It's a better way to cash in on that hidden asset in your jewelry box. We'll be right back. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to get a firsthand account of where we are in these midterms from somebody who is all over it around the clock. Ned Ryan is my friend, and I'm so thrilled to call him my friend. He's also the CEO of American Majority, which trains grassroots activists and new leaders to be more effective and win elections, which is the point, isn't it? You can find them on the web at AmericanMajority.org, and you can follow Ned on Twitter and elsewhere at Ned Ryan, and Ryan is R-Y-U-N. Ned, welcome. It's so great to have you with me. Yeah, no, thanks, Monica. Good to be with you. And uh, yeah, people, if you, if you, uh, Want to have a good time on Twitter? Make sure you follow me. Although I will admit, some of my best tweets never see the light of day because my wife's like, I don't think that's appropriate. You shouldn't say that. But it's still pretty. It's it's. I still have a lot of fun on Twitter. And by the way, I think we're going to have a lot more fun on Twitter now that Elon has uh, acquired it. Absolutely. I can already see the difference. I, I just did a little monologue on this, Ned, right before you. And I was talking about how, you know, our, our Twitter accounts have been active, you and I, and by the way, everybody should be following Ned Ryan, Ryan with a UN, uh, because his Twitter feed is really informative and fun. But I've noticed already just in the last like 24 hours or so, a difference in how fast my tweets take off in terms of retweets and likes. Whereas before it was always really sluggish and some tweets would take off really well, but others wouldn't. And it would, (laughs) it would take a while before you'd see like that first like. And now it seems like the algorithm has just been lifted. And it's, it's like, it's a more honest platform. Well, and I think I think you will absolutely see some impact on this election, these midterms. But you know, just imagine what the impact will be on the twenty twenty 
uh, for elections. If you have a free speech platform like Twitter that's not suppressing Hunter Biden stories, that's not suppressing, oh, quite frankly, the president of the United States, but it's allowing for the free flow of information so that even if the corporate propagandists want to censor a story that would have would have changed the 2020 elections, Monica. I mean, you look at when people in battleground states, 9% of them said they would have switched their vote from Biden to Trump, which would have been by far the difference needed for Trump to win. If they had known about the Hunter Biden story, you realize the role that Twitter and Facebook played in suppressing information to influence the election. And so, yeah, it's, it's a new day. I'm, I'm highly optimistic that Musk is going to do the right thing with the platform to turn it into a more of a free speech platform for the free flow of information, quite frankly, just as the founders intended with our First Amendment. Yes, absolutely. And you can already see the difference. And one of the points I was making, Ned, with this is this is not just about Twitter. Twitter is obviously the central pillar for free expression in this country. It's, it's the main public square. But because Twitter is now going to allow free expression and the free exchange of ideas and the truth to be posted and disseminated, it is going to put tremendous pressure on the other social media platforms like Instagram, like Facebook, because if you can say the truth there, then the criticism is going to mount against the others for uh, blocking it and not allowing it. So they're, but, they're going to lose followers, even, right? And, and the criticism and pressure is right. going to build on them to allow it. But, but even more so, as, as again, I'm looking... Uh, at these dynamics for this midterm, it's going to highlight even more the propagandists. I refuse to call the, these what are called, quote unquote, mainstream media outlets media anymore. They are corporate propagandists. And I think when you have a free speech platform like Twitter, it will continue to highlight and rapidly accelerate people's understanding of um, really what's been going on for decades uh, in regards to how news and information has been manipulated, not to report the truth and facts, but to amplify a narrative that is beneficial to the corporate propagandists and their allies, the Democrats. And and you can, Monica, you can even see it in this midterm cycle where the corporate, th- this is the thing that I think is hilarious. Okay, I know we're going to talk about the midterm, so I want to kind of highlight this before we get into some of the, the nitty gritty details. Through the summer, there was a false narrative that somehow Democrats were not going to get annihilated in these midterms because the corporate propagandists were driving a certain narrative. They were rigging and manipulating polls. Uh, it, you know, again, on Twitter, I've been ranting about registered voter polls versus likely voter polls. Registered voter polls have nothing to do with reality when it comes to the elections. So by the time they did the registered voter polls, and, and rigged and manipulated those, they were, again, trying to reinforce a narrative that I thought was complete, completely, as, as Trump would say, fake news. Now we're coming into reality with just over 10 days to go before the midterms, and, and reality is crashing in on these propagandists and their allies when they realize, oh my gosh, we're going to lose the House. Uh, we're going to lose the Senate. I mean, again, Chuck Schumer had that hot mic moment where he's like, we're all going downhill. I think we're going to end up 52, 48 at a minimum, probably 53, 47, maybe even 54, 46 in the Senate. And we could end up 32, 18 in the gubernatorial races uh, by the time it's all said and done. Incredible. 
I agree. I mean, I think the energy has really shifted. And I think everybody can feel it. I mean, the the petty little leftist tyrants are in complete meltdown. They're sweating bullets right now for a whole variety of reasons, not least of which is they're losing a lot of serious races. And Twitter, Twitter is now a free speech platform. So they're really in, in, in a complete meltdown. The energy has shifted and everybody feels it now, Ned. Yes. Well, and, and the other dynamic, too, is as you're looking at these races, again, I'm here in Virginia. I'm in Loudoun County. Uh, you know, for those of that were following the whole Loudoun County situation, the school board, I'm at ground zero. The dynamic we saw last year with Glenn Youngkin was that Glenn Youngkin embraced the parents' revolt at the school board level. And it took a state that was plus 10 for Biden in 2020 to plus two for Youngkin, a 12-point swing because of the parents' revolts at the school board level. And what I've been trying to communicate to people is there are parent revolts taking a a, a place across the country, for example, say in Michigan, where all of a sudden in Dearborn, Michigan, which is 75% Democrat, you see a coalition of Muslims and Christians going to school board saying, you cannot teach this woke, quite frankly, disgusting curriculum to our kids I think that in some ways, Monica, a parents' revolt in Michigan could very well propel Tudor Dixon to victory over Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, I'm optimistic. It's become a very close race, but people should be looking at some of these under-the-radar dynamics that I think could have a pretty significant impact on November 8th. Yeah, I agree with you. I think parents are going to destroy the Democratic Party. I think overall, normal Americans are going to destroy the Democratic Party. But in certain areas like Michigan, like you're talking about, I think parents are absolutely incensed. And you know, the other thing too, Ned, that that has occurred to me is that yes, there are concrete issues that are driving voters to the polls to vote Republican. The economy, skyrocketing inflation, sky high gas prices, uh, cities in collapse, soaring crime, the wide open border, all of those are are immediate and urgent and important. Um, but I also think that a lot of voters, even I, whether it's conscious or unconscious, understand that this is an existential moment for the country. And that the left and unified democratic control, that these are not the Democrats of your parents and grandparents, that these uh, uh, Democrats are up to something far more nefarious for the future of the country. I think on some oh, like visceral level, 100%. they get that, right? Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, the, the thing I want listeners to understand is that whenever Democrats mention the word We've got this democracy. We have to save democracy. What they mean by that term is we should have one party rule in which we're in charge of everything, right? That's what their term democracy means to them, which of course is the very antithesis of what democracy is. No, I think, I think a lot of the American people are waking up and understanding, again, this ain't your granddaddy's democratic party, right? This is a far left un-American party that is completely out of touch with the priorities of the American people, uh, is so radical from social issues to the fiscal issues to the energy issues that they would intentionally – and I've, I've said this, Monica, I'll say it again. If you hated America, would you do anything different from what the Democrats are doing right now? This is not a mistake. It is all deeply intentional. Correct. It is step-by-step. Step. They are trying to actually destroy, I think, the American middle class. And I think the thing that also is a dynamic that's taking place in this midterms that really highlights 
how much they hate the American people, but how out of touch they are. Their two big issues that they are trying to run on are the ridiculous January 6th committee and abortion. And by abortion, I don't mean, you know, kind of what most Americans would say, hey, we should have a conversation about maybe the first trimester. But after that, it's, it's, it's off the table. We're talking about a very radical all the way up to the point of birth stance that only at the most. 19% of Americans might agree with, but they have nailed their flag to the mast on these two issues. And the American people have constantly said through this year, our most important issues are inflation, the economy, rising gas, rising prices, our immigration, our, our southern border, I would argue, really doesn't exist right now. Uh, and, and these are the issues that are important to the American people. And Democrats are basically like, yeah, we don't care about that. We think you should care about this. And the American people are saying, I don't think so. And I think there's going to be a massive rebuke on November 8th. Yeah, you know, on that that point yesterday, I tweeted, Ned, uh, you know, by all means, Democrats, keep running on killing babies, sex change operations for yeah. children, and a riot that happened two years ago. And, you know, the, yeah, the tweet it, took off. But, I mean, that, that is literally their priorities, and they also want you distracted from the, the destructive consequences of their policies. They, they really do, because as, as we've noticed in the handful of debates, uh, because Democrats are, are debate dodgers. I mean, that, that, that to me is one of the most interesting dynamics of this midterm in which pretty much across the board they have ducked. 90% of the debates, right? They do not want to debate because they realize they're going to have to answer on inflation, economy, lockdowns, all of these things, and they know it's indefensible. So they're dodging the debates, and now they're trying to do kind of a bait and switch of like pay, pay no attention you know, to the man behind the curtain over, over there. You should be focused on this, whether it's Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, all of them trying to push this narrative. And I think the American people are like, we don't believe you. Uh, we first of all, we see it with our own pocket, uh, our own pocketbooks, our bank accounts, our 401ks. We're seeing this in real time as we go to the grocery store to the gas station. So they can lie all they want to. They can try and spin a false narrative. They can try and distract the American people, helped by their corporate propagandists. But I think the American people have wised up and said we're not listening to you anymore. And I thought Monica, one of the most interesting things in one of the most recent polls, when asked what was the greatest threat to democracy. 59% of the American people said the corporate media, the corporate propagandists, because mm. they've realized these people are not out for their best interests. Yep, that's right. And Donald Trump cleared the way for yes. all of these other America First candidates. You know, I've often said, Ned, that the left did not fear uh, Donald Trump's failure. They feared his success because they knew if he succeeded, he was going to give rise to hundreds, if not thousands, of America First candidates. Well, much, much easier for them to try to target one guy and destroy him versus hundreds, if not thousands. And that's what we've got in Carrie Lake and Herschel Walker yeah. and, and Tudor Dixon and Lee Zeldin all across the country. And they are pulling their hair Blake out. Masters. Blake Masters. Yeah, yeah J.D. No, Vance. I mean, this. Yeah, this is one of the things that I've, I've discussed with, with President Trump multiple times, and, and he did a phenomenal job in the primaries. And, and we teach at American Majority, a party is what people say it is, and the people who say what it is are those that win primaries and show up at conventions. So you begin to change the dynamic of what a party is by going and winning primaries, and that's why 
I'm thrilled at what he did. He had, what, a 94% win record in the primaries in which America First candidates, for the most part, again, there's some where it was only a quasi-conservative that, that was in the race, but for the most part, America First candidates win their primaries. They are now the standard bearers for the Republican Party. And I think a lot of them, and then to fully seal that deal, Monica, they are going to win the general election. I just wrote a piece uh, that, that's on Real Clear Politics in which I talked about it's not a red wave that's going to happen in Arizona. It's an America first wave. I think we're going to sweep everything in Arizona. I think Kerry Lake's going to win. I think Fincham's going to win. Uh, I think we're going to win the AG race. I think Blake Masters has closed so strongly the polls have showed a dead heat. I think he's going to win. We're going to pick up state house, state senate seats in Arizona. I think we could walk out with a 7-2 uh, congressional delegation out of Arizona after November 8th. And a lot of these people are America first. And I think if we continue down this trend, this path, and, and Trump continues to commit to it, you're going to see Republican on the storefront, right? But the essence is going to be America first, and I couldn't be happier. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, look, they they hated Donald Trump. They still hate him. They continue to try to destroy him. But what they can't crush is the America first movement that he recognized and gave birth to and rode in many ways and continues to. They can't crush that. And look, America First is really the great silent majority. It began under President Nixon, great silent majority. And then under Reagan, it was the Reagan Revolution. And then the Tea Party movement. It's all the same movement with all the same beliefs and and people and it just gets it, it gets baptized in a new way with a new era but it's all the same it's about putting america first exactly but this time around it was a very strong standard bearer unlike maybe some of these other quote unquote political revolutions this was somebody that came out guns blazing said i reject the premise of pretty much everything And my whole point here is the American people first and last in all things, whether it's trade, whether it's immigration, all of these things. I mean, and the thing, Monica, I I explained to people in a government of, by, and for the people, Trump's crazy, and I say that in air quotes, idea was that somehow government of, by, and for the people should actually prioritize the American people in all things. And for that, he was crucified for daring to go against the status quo, the administrative state, and all those that benefit off the current system. That's why they view him as an existential threat, because he's going after what they view as a very beneficial system to them in which the American people are at best an afterthought. Of course. Yep. He is an existential threat to their absolute grip on power, where power really resides in Washington, which is the deep state and the permanent bureaucracy and the press. Um, He is a threat to that. And so, of course, they've got to continue to try to destroy him. Um, You often speak as I do, about the uni party. And that includes Republican establishment figures who, as I've continued to argue here and elsewhere, are more loathsome than the Democrat communists. Because at least the Democrat communists tell you who they are, what they believe, and what they intend to do. But the the, their counterparts in the Republican Party, people like Mitch McConnell, will tell you a good line and then stab you in the back. (laughs) So what are we going to do about Mitch McConnell as Senate majority leader uh, come January 1? Well, I'll, I'll reiterate, and I totally agree with you. I've, I've called uh, Mitch McTurtle McConnell a sociopath on Tucker. I think he's very dangerous. He, he hates the America First movement. Uh, you see the decisions that are being made in some of his spending, whether it's pulling $18 million from Blake Masters, pulling 
I think it was six million recently from the Bulldog race in New Hampshire, which is extremely winnable. He hates the America First movement. I think he's a sociopath because he's far more concerned with 26 votes than he is with 51. And by that, I mean, he's far more interested in controlling the Senate caucus, Republican caucus, than he is in having the majority. The, the real problem, though, in all of these leadership races in D.C., it comes down to who's inside the room. And in the House, it's obviously just the Republican caucus. McCarthy is going to win. I think Scalise will be the majority leader. And I'm very optimistic that Jim Banks will be the majority whip. But when it comes to Mitch McConnell, it's an even harder you know, hill to climb. First of all, you need a horse to ride. I, I would like to see Rick Scott run. I'm not convinced that he will. But then you've got to understand it's all such inside baseball. You have to have somebody to ride. And we need somebody like that. And then you've got to figure out how do you get, let's say we pick up 52 seats, 53 seats. You've got to get 27 votes. How do you get 27 senators to agree that you should be the leader over Mitch McConnell, who, by the way, over the course of however many decades, has literally spent tens, if not hundreds of millions helping get these guys elected? Right. And that's what it comes down to. And can Rick Scott or somebody else make a compelling argument that I can be of greater benefit to you as your majority leader, not only help get you reelected, but lead you in a successful policy agenda? I don't know. I mean, that's it's a bit it's a lot harder to solve than people think. Right. Yeah, no, I know. And he's collected so many chits, as you point out, over so many years that people don't want to cross him. And he's you know, he's really lost a step. Not to the extent Biden has lost a step, oh, but McConnell has slowed down. I mean, he's he's an older man right now, and he does not belong in this position. So, uh, as you point out, very difficult to dislodge him. But I, to me, yeah, you're going to have a lot more America first people that he's going to have a very difficult time corralling, right? Like J.D. Vance and Blake well, Masters. Want, Go ahead. Yeah, and I think, I, I think the one thing I was going to say on this, so people don't, you know, I'm not a Debbie Downer here. I think if you have one more election cycle in the 2024 primaries in which you get some real America first candidates to win the Republican primary and win the general, then you have enough of a coalition inside the Republican caucus to go, okay, we've got enough votes here. If somebody has the guts, we could actually do this. I think you need at least one more primary season, if not two to really get enough votes inside of the Senate caucus to be successful. Yes, that's a great point. So patience, patience, everybody. Um, What do you think a GOP majority in both houses looks like? What will the agenda be? Well, I think, so first of all, I think we'll be in the mid, I think we'll be in the 240s in the House. Uh, I think McCarthy is very intent on pushing his commitment to America agenda. We all know you can only do so much in the House because it's got to go through the Senate and obviously through Biden White House. So not much is going to happen, I think, in a meaningful way. But I've heard behind the scenes McCarthy is very intense on oversight, investigations. You know, I'm encouraged that he's going to actually keep the January 6th committee going, uh, reform it and actually get to the bottom of what happened on January 6th. So I think you're going to see some really interesting committees and oversight investigations uh, coming out of the House. You know, I, I'm not optimistic as to Mitch McConnell doing anything of real benefit. Uh, but but the, the biggest argument for me, Monica, in getting Republican majorities in the House and the Senate, you're going to be able to stop a lot of the absolute insanity of the Biden administration for a couple of years and say, we're not doing this. We're not going to rubber stamp. No legislation that you want is going to come out of these chambers. So I think one of the most important things they can do is, is simply this. No, 
And I think no is one of the most beautiful words in the English language, and it's underused. So I think Republicans in the House and the Senate can simply say to the Biden White House, no, we're not going down your absolutely insane, mad path. And you don't think that they will feel, well, we know the America First uh, candidates who win will be immune to this, but the establishment types and maybe some Republicans with weaker spines, you don't think that they will be vulnerable to the attack that they're obstructionists? Of course. Of course (laughs) they will be, but that's why it's important no, it's important that you have a Jim Banks yeah. as the majority whip, which is a very important position inside of the House. My dad was in the House for 10 years. It's one of those positions that's not as well known, but this is somebody that drives the, the agenda for the House caucus, the majority caucus. And I think if you have a Jim Banks in there, he can help people toe the line. He's going to have the whip machine. He's going to have the ability to say, hey, we're not doing that. You can't, you, you know, you're not going to capitulate on that issue. So the thing I want to remind people, I think we're going to win the House. I think we're going to win the Senate. We're going to have great gubernatorial elections, state legislative, all that. The next thing to focus on is the leadership elections and try and encourage people as much as you can. Again, it's inside baseball. You got to get Jim Banks into House leadership, number three in the House leadership. And I think we'll see some really good things come out of that. Absolutely. Yeah, from your lips to God's ears. All right, before I let you go, predictions for 2024. Let's start with the Republicans. Does Donald Trump run? Two separate questions with regard to Trump. Is Trump running, do you think? And should he He run? And if he does run, do you think Ron DeSantis and others get in this race? Uh, I think we're all going to be very happy in a few weeks. Uh, when a certain announcement is made. Um, I am 99.99% sure that he is going to run. I couldn't be more thrilled. When he announces, I think that will have a chilling effect on others who didn't have a chance anyway uh, in running for for the nomination in 2024. I think it's going to put serious pause on Ron DeSantis, who, by the way, I just want to tell people, I think he's the best Republican governor we have in the country by far, hands down. Yes, agreed. I don't think it will be in, it will not be in his best interest to go against Donald Trump in a Republican primary uh, when I think Donald Trump, according to these polls, is so ascendant that it really wouldn't even be a close race. And I, I, I keep on telling people, listen, I'd be happy with either Trump or DeSantis. I am a huge Trump fan. I want Trump to win. I think Trump will run. He will win. But for, if for some really, really strange reason he doesn't run, it'll be DeSantis. Everybody else is talking about running for president, whether it's Pence or Pompeo or Haley or anybody else. They're a bunch of political pygmies, right? They have no chance at all against one of those two. One of those two will win the nomination. America first will triumph in the Republican presidential primary in 2024, and we will have a significant standard bearer to carry the message in the general election in 2024. But I have to tell you, I think Trump's running. He's going to probably announce in a few weeks. Uh, I want to, to be heavily involved, and I think a lot of the, the grassroots wants to be involved with him. And I told him the other day, uh, you know, this, this could be one of the most epic four years in the White House in which he could go to war against the administrative state day one and devolve it, break it apart. And I, I couldn't be happier, Monica. I, it, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a wild ride, but it's going to be Donald Trump 2024. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I completely agree. And I think, you, you know, the, he's got an emotional bond 
with the American people, not an intellectual one, not even a political one. It's an emotional one. And that is invaluable and the most powerful weapon any leader can have. And he's got it. But the two things I'll, I'll leave people with is this. I've talked with people and, and, and their people would recognize their names if I mentioned them who have said, you know, maybe I might be more of a DeSantis fan, but it has to be Trump in 2024. Because of the first, his first administration, those four years of nonstop constant attack, and because the 2020 elections were rigged and manipulated, it has to be Trump as a massive rebuke to the corporate propagandists and to the administrative state. Trump in 2024 is our only logical choice to rebuke and repudiate everything that has taken place over the last six years. So I think you'll see a lot of people going for so many different reasons It has to be Donald Trump. Agreed. Agreed. And final question for you. Um, Democrats are obviously not running Joe Biden. Joe Biden is the only person who thinks that Biden is (laughs) running again. Um, And they've got a huge problem with Kamala Harris. So who do you think in the end they put up? Well, I have to tell you, I mean, look back at Jimmy Carter and when Ted Kennedy took a real shot at him in the 1980 Democratic primary. It turned out to be Jimmy Carter blowing him out, even though Jimmy Carter was an absolute god-awful, terrible president with very low approval ratings. If Joe Biden wants to run again, he will be very hard to beat. That all to say, if he does not run again, I think you're looking at probably a Gavin Newsom. I mean, obviously, little Pete, uh, Pete Buttigieg is going to be in. You've got Kamala Harris. I think you'll see – heck, Hillary Clinton might be in. Michelle Obama might be in. <laughs> Yeah, Uh, I think you'll see a very if Biden announces I am not running again, you're going to see a very brutal, vicious free for all uh, in the Democratic primary in 2024, in which I think they're going to savage and bloody each other for the uh, opportunity to run against Donald Trump in the general. I'm here for it. Ned, I'm totally here for yeah, exactly. a brutal internecine battle on the on the left, 100%. Ned Ryan, he is the CEO of American Majority. Please check them out on the web. They do tremendous work. It's AmericanMajority.org is their website. Again, AmericanMajority.org. They train grassroots activists like you and me, new leaders to be more effective and win elections, which is what the whole game is about, because we're fighting for really the future of America and preserving this great experiment in freedom. Ned, cannot thank you enough. I really appreciate your time and expertise. Absolutely. Enjoy doing it. We'll do it again, Monica. I hope so. Thanks so much, Ned. We'll be right back. Okay, here we go with a Friday email bag. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com is our email address. We've got a few emails from my extraordinary interview with Naomi Wolf. Steve in Oklahoma writes, Monica, love the interview with Naomi Wolf. Can't wait to get her book and read it. Jan writes, Monica, if you and Naomi both understand that the virus was always about power and control, then it shouldn't be too great a leap to understand why I've always believed that it was designed and paid for by the elites in our country and the world and magically appeared during a presidential election year that they were determined would not be won by Donald Trump, no matter what it took. Two years ago, I could be arrested for even suggesting such a crazy idea, Thanks to people like you and Naomi and others, I can express this gut feeling. And Antonio in New York writes, Hi, Monica. The interview with Naomi Wolf was excellent. 
You both mentioned so many things that struck a chord with me. I think, however, what troubles me most is that we have people throughout the world who simply do not care about humanity. They purposely inflict pain and suffering on people. They are sick, heartless, and evil. These are the dark times we live in. Well, thank you so much for these brilliant emails, Antonio, Jan, and Steve. I'm so glad that you guys uh, really enjoyed that interview with Naomi Wolf. It was such an important conversation. If you haven't yet heard it, please go back and listen to it. I think we did it in late May. We covered so much ground, including what both Jan and Antonio mentioned here, which is the absolute sadism of the left. In everything they do, It's solely about power and control. And the cruelty is the point. They are vicious. And never forget that this is a spiritual war. I talk about it all the time on this show. This is a spiritual war, good versus evil. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. And that's why we need all good warriors working around the clock to save both human freedom and this great country. Thank you so much, Antonio, Steve, and Jan. And thanks to all of you for joining us and for checking out our fantastic sponsors. That's going to do it for me today. Have a wonderful weekend. And I will see you right back here on Monday. I'll be on the ground with Herschel Walker. So we are going to have a really big show. Big shows all next week. So I will see you right back here then. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.